We're back. Yes, we are. We're still here, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something that we've left off the last couple times that we should probably talk about? Yeah. We, you and I, we're members of the Voice Press Network. Oh, and my we gosh. share th- <laughs> this wonderful home <laughs> with, like, five other amazing shows. Oh, yes, yes. So, if you like us... Um, keep listening and also rate mm-hmm. us on iTunes. We haven't gotten a new rating in a while. No, you know, and you could get featured right. on our website if you have a really good quote about the show, mm-hmm. or if you're feeling lazy, just throw five stars on there. That's cool too. Um, that's the easy way out. So just you know, at least go the easy <laughs> way out. Yeah, yeah. You know, you do you. Uh, no, but so thevoicepress.com. There's other fantastic shows on there. We did an episode not that long ago with actually almost every single host yep. um but there was a representative from every single show so super cool group of people all the shows are really great really informative yes. um a lot of fun so definitely something you should go check out and who knows we might be adding more shows in the future let's hope so yeah right yeah it's like the sub pop records of podcasting I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep saying that until people yeah. believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and it and until it happens, yeah. <clears throat> right? It's slow build. Uh it's building now. So we're glad to be back with you guys this week. Uh yeah. go to lookwhatidid.net. Mm-hmm. Um if you're feeling extra generous, go to patreon.com forward slash look what I did and give us a one time donation of two thousand dollars and we can buy the dot com of look what I did. <laughs> yes. We we looked at that. It's been a while since we've looked at looked at that. And I was like screen capture. I was like, look, it's available. But man, this price is <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know if the last three letters are that important to me. <laughs> Uh, but if you want to support the show, a fantastic way to do that is patreon.com forward slash look what I did. Uh, you can support for as little as a dollar a month. There's extra cool content on there. Every once in a while, Aaron and I'll give you a little gift. Uh, the last gift we did, Aaron sent a dance video to every single person that was supporting the show. So I, I was a hot and sweaty person by the end of the... Uh, it took me a little while because, man... I wanted them to be good, and then I thought it's it's quality or quantity. I don't know what it was, but no one was disappointed. Thank goodness. <laughs> I'm I'm debating for the next one to do some weird challenge where like people can send me a picture mm-hmm. of something, and I will draw that to the best of my ability in one minute, and then send it back. <laughs> That'd be a quick dude. Or like post it online yeah. or something. Like yeah, yeah, you send it to me, and I'll draw. I'll do a drawing, and then. Mm. So we'll we'll see. I'm I'm noodling. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a thing? Noodling. Yeah. I, I feel I think like that's a fishing term. It is, actually, it is a fishing term. Yeah, a catfishing. <laughs> Look at me term. getting all my sports stuff. Uh, right. Wait, what kind of catfishing? Well, I don't your, know your drawings. Both kinds of catfishing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It'd be like I'm going to draw this for you. They get it and they're like, "This is nothing like what I sent in." A lot like catfishing. <laughs> oh, there, there you go. It's yeah. three kinds. It is. Um, yeah. this show is super special to Aaron and I. So I, you know, we'll talk about everything I'm probably about to say, but uh, it's with Chris Valines, the owner of black cat recording studio. And um, he actually was like my first bandmate, the <laughs> first person I ever had a band with. Yeah. And also my first and really only roommate. Um, so he and I go way back. I knew him actually before I knew Aaron yeah. And uh, paths have diverged over time. We don't really see each other as much anymore, but the three of us played in a band together. And so there's definitely uh, a camaraderie here 
that yeah. I think is a little bit different. Um, we, we tease Chris a little bit more maybe than some of our other guests, but uh, <laughs> it was good. He really is a fantastic yeah. guy. Yes. He and I spent a lot, a lot of time together. If you've ever been in a band or um, part of kind of a small group of people trying to accomplish something, you know the highs and lows of the emotions there, right? So, yeah. Uh, but he's he really is truly just a genuinely wonderful human being, um, mm-hmm. and and he was a lot of fun to work with years ago. And I actually like after this interview, I really wanted to go work with him, you know, just recording wise. Yeah. Um, just go do something because I really do enjoy being around Chris. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so Chris Black Cat Studios, enjoy. Chris, let's start with, tell us who you are and what you do. Well, I'm Chris, and I record people. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> okay, we'll we'll edit over that. No. <laughs> yeah, we'll fix that in post. <laughs> they know about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, end of show. Uh, Goodbye. So, like. Uh, that sounds a little creepy. I'm not going to lie. You just record people um, <laughs> from in the bushes. <laughs> yep, from the bushes. Hey, wait. We have that We have that in common, kind of. So, <laughs> No, don't say that. I'm editing that out. <laughs> so when you say record people, you own a recording studio. Yes. Ooh. Nice. Right. Uh, what got you so into? They pay you to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> so okay. they pay you to record them. That's a different thing. That's safer. <laughs> they are That's acceptable. They are unwilling participants. No. Um. All right. So, best studio commercial ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what do you do? I, uh, I think we flustered Chris. Maybe we should start and and Aaron. Maybe we should fill people in on how we know Chris and why we're giving him such a hard time. Ooh. Because I don't think we ever normally bring somebody on and just tease them mercilessly, <laughs> mercilessly. Uh, just, just ourselves, yeah. So, so a little, <laughs> a little secret. Um, yeah. Aaron and I. Well, that's this isn't a secret. Aaron and I used to play in a band together, but before Aaron and I played in a band together, Chris and I played in a band together, and then Aaron came into that band as well, and we all played together for a while on and off over the years. So I've actually known Chris yeah, for yeah. a super long time. You were my first roommate. Yep. So anyway, that that's how we know Chris. Yeah. Yeah. For a long time. Yep. So anyway, I know back when we were playing in a band together, uh, you were the one that was kind of the gearhead and you had like a Tascam tape cassette recorder that we would kind of record stuff on but you eventually like ended up kind of amassing real studio equipment right yeah that um that task cam is got uh kind of how i got my um feet wet with recording uh i got it when i was in high school uh just so i could kind of record you know us or my ideas and stuff it wasn't ever meant to be uh you know, me doing professional level recording or anything. Um, so I kind of started reading about how to do it properly. Uh, I still have the first recordings we ever did on that thing. Uh, sounds pretty bad too, <laughs> but you got to start somewhere. Yeah, but I secretly kind of want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, no, I still have. Maybe those. we'll make that. Pa- we will not make that Patreon content. Actually, actually, I can guarantee <laughs> no, we won't no. do that. Aaron, and, you and wouldn't even be a part of it. Music- 
you wouldn't even no. be on that. Well, we recorded some other stuff, but not on that. But we should also yeah. say that the sound, the quality of music should not reflect poorly on Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it was the music, right? <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm I mean, good. everybody starts somewhere. I, I will say as a, a good 50-50. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Chris yeah. Chris started yeah. with the most obstacles humanly possible, and that's how he's a good engineer now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, guys, yeah. I've tried to record the worst musician ever. I got this. <laughs> so every time somebody walks point, in, they're yeah. like, I don't really have a song, and I just learned guitar. He's like, one time I recorded Daniel. We'll get over this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's just start with ultimate failure. <laughs> so so okay, but like yeah. You, I mean, I know you predominantly historically as a guitarist, right? And and a gearhead for sure. But, and I think like a lot of musicians kind of start getting the stuff together to uh, track ideas or or write. So it's like a an audio notepad, you know, right? I mean, I think that's a fair thing to say. Um, and then that may kind of swell a little bit as you get more gear and you get a little bit closer to like the, how you want something to sound. Cause it's just frustrating. But I, very few people actually step over into really actually building a recording studio. So what pushed you into that? Um, it's, I guess it was kind of a long, it's kind of a long journey. Uh, you know, like I said, I started with that task cam and I didn't, I started kind of geeking out of, uh, about it a little bit more when we started going to actual studios to record our demos uh, back when we were all in a band together. And when I started seeing like the, just being in the studio just kind of intrigued me, seeing the type of gear that they were using uh, just kind of pushed me over the edge. So, um, you know, at the time I couldn't obviously afford anything like that. Uh, but I did take an interest enough to start reading and studying uh, everything about it. I didn't, I didn't just read stuff like how to use a compressor. Uh, I actually started digging into the science behind uh, how audio waves work, um, uh, how everything, like the different types of cables, how they're used, what they're used for, how they transmit the audio, or you know, in a lot of cases, how they transmit the digital information. Um, so I, I really geeked out about it. Just read book after book after book. And then I guess at one point I started, I guess kind of at the very beginning, home recording equipment was still pretty pricey, but it was actually available. So I started, uh, getting that so I could actually record, you know, live drums at my house. Uh, for song ideas and everything. And uh, once I got enough stuff, I thought I'd give it a try. And I converted my garage into an, uh, a recording studio. I soundproofed it mm -hmm. the best I could, basically barricaded up the garage door, um, added extra layers of insulation and everything uh, to the walls. And my first band, this was, I think, back in 07, I guess I officially opened my studio, although it was in my house. And uh, I worked with some guys in the band, uh, in a band, and I offered to record them for free to kind of get my feet wet recording someone else's stuff opposed to, 
you know, my stuff. And yeah, yeah. I think even as we were in there, uh, you were, you would kind of record other things as they came around a little bit, right? Like just kind of learning the equipment mm -hmm. and, and how everything worked or was it just doing your own thing? Then we came in and kind of like played around for a little while and then you basically just decided to open a studio. Uh, yeah, it was basically most of that. Just, uh, me recording, uh, a bunch of, you know, personal projects and stuff, anything that came along, anybody I was working with, uh, mostly, mostly because I, I, I took such an interest in recording that I, I really didn't want to, every time I wanted to record an idea, I didn't want to seek someone out and, you know, dish out money, uh, to them to record. So I thought it was a better investment to just start buying equipment so I could just record it all, especially when it was just song ideas. And then once I, once I did gather enough equipment, yeah, I just decided I really enjoy doing this. Why not, you know, try and do it for a living. Yeah. And I, I think what's interesting, and I think you and I've talked about this in the past too, is, um, it's really kind of a risky choice, right? Because you, you looked at the landscape and how much it costs to go into a recording studio. And you're like, uh, there's some cost effectiveness in me just doing this myself so I can bring that into my house and do it on my own. Um, and I mean, black cat kind of takes shape around the time that home recording really becomes a much more viable thing, right? For a lot of people like the MacBook pro, in 2009 or whatever ships with garage band and really can do a decent amount of recording. Um, what, why did you think that there was still like a value in having a recording studio coming from your background and in that landscape? So yeah, home recording is very prevalent nowadays. Um, and I think, which is great because a lot of people can do what I started out doing they can use uh, a little recording interface or something at their house and record their song ideas. Uh, however, the, the need for a real recording studio is still there, uh, especially because most people can't, for one, they won't have the acoustic treatment in their house, like a professional yeah. studio. Uh, just everything that goes into acoustically treating stuff, uh, Mobile. You just put mattresses against all the walls, Chris. That's all you do. Just mattresses yeah. everywhere. I think that's the solve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just record <laughs> all your vocals yeah. in your closet. <laughs> Isn't that the trick? <laughs> yes. And if you Poly want reverb in the shower. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Um, plus, uh, a lot of people at their house, they don't have room for uh, a drum kit. So I know a lot of yeah. drums are being programmed now, but if you want to get that real drum kit sound and you can't do it, you know, that's another reason to go to a studio and you don't have to learn, know how to play drums. Uh, like at my studio, I've got, I've got a bunch of session musicians on call. So if anybody needs a drummer or keyboard player or singer, um, I've actually got someone that studied opera that could do vocals for you. So, uh, anything you want, you know, after you've, after you've gotten your song ideas written down and solidified, that's when you might want to come to a studio to get a much more professional quality. On top of that, uh, on top of just, you know, live drums or acoustic treatment, 
there's also the difference in gear. Um, right. opposed to just an audio interface, I've got all kinds of outboard gear here for, I've got a whole, uh, set of outboard gear just, just for my mastering chain. Yeah. So, and of course, mixing and I, mastering is a whole nother level of things than just someone hitting record at their house to record an idea. Yeah. I think where people, you know, you hear about, um, I'm sure this is your favorite record of the year, so you've really studied it, but Billie Eilish's uh, Where Do We Go When We All Fall Asleep, or I don't remember the exact title, but her her debut album, right? Um, that's entirely recorded in her bedroom and her brother's bedroom, like the actual record you got. So I think when people hear that, mentally it's like, oh, well, you know, if that can happen, then I can do it too. And Aaron and I are big proponents of you can, like if you try hard enough and put the time and effort into it. Uh, but I think for a lot of people to what you're saying, like if you're trying to get that uh, like four piece rock band sound or a big room sound, certain records can be done on, on a laptop or desktop, right in a, in a bedroom somewhere. I mean, Moby famously kind of does it all in this tiny New York apartment, but I, oh, yeah. uh, I think like you have to be cognizant of the kind of sound that you're going for. And I think to um, the collaborative nature, like you just said, Hey, I've got all these people on call. So if you have an idea to layer in a sound, we can bring in that real instrument, that real person and layer that thing in because most of us are not going to turn around and pick up a cello and learn how to play it just to get that one part. Right. Um, right. So right. I think that's where there's sometimes a, maybe a disconnect when people feel like real recording studios aren't necessary anymore or they're dying out or something. I think we forget that like a good chunk of the records that do come out do happen in a studio. Like you, you may get, you and I've talked about this drafting ideas on a tour bus into garage band or, you know, studio one or whatever you're using. But that generally goes from that and kind of that demo format to, a real recording studio. It may even go to a recording studio and then to another recording studio after the fact, right? Just because they are trying to get a different room drum sound or something. Uh, yeah. Multiple, uh, depending on what's going on with the record. Uh, yeah. They could use one studio for, you know, guitars. They could go to another studio because uh, they have a particular drum room, like you said. Uh, so they're trying to get a particular drum sound out of it. Uh, there's also uh, one studio may, uh, do the recording and the mixing side of things. And then it may get sent off for the mastering to someone else. So right. there's all kinds yeah. of different levels and a hand changing that could possibly happen, or it could all be done at one place. It, it really depends on what's, uh, uh, what the focus is on that album. Right. What? So you as a recording studio, I think that brings up a good idea. And we interviewed, was it last year, Aaron, the good fear? Was it last year yes. or a year and a half ago? Uh, you know, I was just looking through memories the other day, and it was, I mean, it's been over, I think it's been a year, if not over a year ago. So, Maybe. you know, we had the Good Fear on, and they recorded some in a studio, and then some at their, their like, band studio, right? And uh, our, that that's a cool hybrid idea, because I think you can lay some pieces of a of a track down, right? Um, at home 
And then to your point, like when I need the big drum sound or I want that room for my vocals, uh, do you, how do you handle that? Like if, if somebody comes in and just wants to do pieces of a recording, uh, I've had people do that. They'll, uh, they have something set up at home, so they'll record guitar parts. Then they bring those, uh, tracks in to me. I let them up here and then they'll want, um, to record drums, uh, or have, uh, I have one guy, he was a singer songwriter, but he couldn't really sing but he would still bring in all his tracks and have his scratch tracks and we would bring in a singer. They would learn all the words and where the, uh, you know, like syllable placement and everything was. And then they would lay down the vocals on top of that. So even, even if you're the guitar part or whatever isn't recorded or that you recorded at home, uh, isn't quite the sound you're looking for. It's still, um, a good tool to use as a scratch track. So it gives someone else to right. play to. So you can record a rough guitar yeah. track. Uh, we could record a drummer, give you an actual solid beat behind it, and then you can uh, lay down you know, a more solid guitar track while you're here after the drums are laid down and you have something to kind of right. groove with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a that's a good call. I think... Uh, uh, I think Aaron wants to say Aaron, something. Yeah, I think Aaron wants to say something. <laughs> well, we... Well, I was supposed we, to pay attention know, to a signal that I didn't catch. Right. It, well, it's was just, slightly, was it's slightly off. off my screen is the bad thing. So I couldn't tell what his <laughs> hand was doing. It was like not where I could see. Should I do this? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think <laughs> just they, like Vogue. <laughs> just Vogue your head. <laughs> there we so go. Aaron, I, I Aaron wants to say something. One thing about like, <laughs> about recording, like home recording can be extremely convenient and it can be, and I know this from like, you guys and other projects that I've done can be the most extremely frustrating thing ever, you know, because you're trying to play your instrument, especially since you probably don't have someone there to help hit the record button. And, you know, you go through all this stuff and no one's watching anything and you think you got it. And, you know, you failed because it's like, I didn't really hit record or, you know, it, the batteries died halfway through or someone, you know, something became disconnected. I think there's clear advantages of getting, you know, being able to rent a place or you go into a spot and have someone just sitting there watching everything happen and they can say, you know, whoa, 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 let's do this instead or give you direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's there's a lot to be said for it. Um, outside of the home recording, the home recording is still a great idea for certain things. But well, Aaron, I think you bring nice up to a good, take that like, stress off of you, you know. Yeah, because in a you know if you think about like a big fully staffed studio, you've got an engineer, a producer. You know, there's probably a person kind of running around just placing microphones or whatever. Um, and it takes that weight mm-hmm. off of you can just focus on your job, right? My job yep. is just to play this part, right, and and do that well. And somebody else is taking care of everything else. And I think it does clear the headspace for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. but I think the home recording. What I was going to say is there's a value at least in sitting there and practicing to click track. I know that was my hardest thing going into a studio, right? Like you don't realize how, how much your time slides in a live band, (laughs) right? Like Mm -hmm. time is super, super fluid. And you get in a studio. It's like, this is there. There's this rigid thing called a beat. And you're like, yeah, we got it, man. It's a sometimes 180, sometimes 173. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is yeah. pretty fast so, actually, but 
another point about the home recording thing, and this is something I personally ran into, uh, when it comes down to the mixing side of things, you may be happy with the recording and everything, but you are your own worst critic. And oh, I have had my own personal projects when it comes to mixing, no matter how good everybody else may think it is, I'm not happy with it, and I want to redo it over and over <laughs> and over again. Mm -hmm. So sometimes after the recording's done, sometimes it's a good idea just to hand it off to someone else and here you do it because yeah, I, you know yeah, get a fresh set of ears on it. Yeah, well, leaving well enough alone. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's still as prevalent as it was, but at one point, like, you never mastered in the studio you were in very often. Like, you almost always sent that off to, like, specifically a mastering facility just really to get right. that final, like, a totally uh, an unbiased ear, right? Like, they've never heard it. Now they're just kind of really making sure everything kind of blends together and the levels are all equal across everything and that there's a flow to that. That final polish kind of goes off to the last person. Yeah. Kind of an unbiased opinion. Right. Yeah. Because because I think to, you know, Chris's point, the the biggest danger of the home studio, I know, you know, if I if I had one thing to do over again as a musician, I would be more collaborative early on. Like Chris and I had a good collaboration in the sense that like I did the lyrics and generally the melody and he did all the music, right? And but like we really generally pretty well stayed in our lanes. And as I got older and was around more musicians and kind of like learned to let go. Um, and Chris, the first time I think that I even realized the power of this was probably the iteration of our band that had uh, Jeremy Bonham and big Mike and those guys. Right. Like yeah. there was one night where we all collaboratively wrote lyrics and I was like, this is way better than anything I do by myself. You know, like just letting go <laughs> of like, like just sitting in a room and everybody's saying, oh, this is a good idea or this is funny or, you know, like what if we phrase it this way? Uh, and I really like and we collaboratively worked out song parts or right like music parts. Um, and it was that you could just feel the energy in the room was different because everybody was equally invested in the whole thing. Um, and I think if I if I sit in my studio and I kind of I control everything every once in a while lightning might strike and you may perfectly capture that genius. And we'll go back to Moby um, or Phineas and Billy Eilish. Right. But most of us do better with a sounding board with collaborative partners and some editing process. Like, Hey, maybe that guitar solo doesn't need to be four and a half minutes long, you know, or whatever the thing is. Yeah. I've, uh, I've actually helped people collaborate or not collaborate. Uh, I've given input on musicians that are here. I try and I, I'm not one of those guys that tries to produce anybody's album that's here. I try mm -hmm. and take your idea. Like when a band or musician comes in here, it's their artwork. It's my job to make it sound good uh, for their audience. Uh, but there are times when I do kind of step in. It's not, an artistic point of view, but I have had people solo and technically what they're doing is right. I can, I can see it on like their guitar. I've had to be like, Hey, you're a whole step too high. You need to bring it down. You're in the wrong key, but you can play exactly what you were doing 
and it worked. Like there's just certain things that I hear, especially after being a musician and an engineer for so many years that some people's ear just aren't trained for. So if they had recorded this at home, they, they never would have caught it. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I try and listen. I try and mind my business, do my job and not <laughs> tell them what they should do, how they should write it. But yeah, uh, I'll, I'll put in my input when I, I feel like it, you know, what they're doing is a uh, detriment to their, their music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it's important when, uh, to know how to kind of insert yourself into those conversations. Right. Cause some people are going to be really open to it and want it. That's why they went in the studio yeah. and other people are going to be very defensive because you know, well, you don't know my song and you don't know me. I mean, I deal with that with my daughter, right? She's 13 years old and she's really into playing music and, um, and writing songs. And so, she'll ask me what I think and I'll tell her something. She's like, well, that's the way I wanted it to be. And I'm like off pitch. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, and one, cause I'm her dad, it's hard to listen to. Right. And, and we, we have a good relationship and most of the time we kind of come back and like, uh, you know, see the point or it makes sense or whatever. But uh, yeah. I think it's so easy for people to just kind of like, uh, you're already being really vulnerable sharing your art. Right. And for most of us, music is very, it's an expression of an internal thing. Right. And so if somebody like, I think it feels weird to let somebody else kind of like color in the lines of your personal coloring page of your, your heart. Right. And, and especially if they say like, well, you know, I think it'd be better blue. And you're like, uh, but I've always seen it as orange, which also I love people going to recording studios and being like, can you make that crunchier or more like, I don't know, <laughs> hot pink. <laughs> like, yeah. Are these real terms? <laughs> Where's the dictionary? Uh, if I said that I wanted a guitar sound to sound more hot pink, Chris, what would you do? Give you a hot pink guitar, <laughs> and you turn, you slide the hot pink slider way up. <laughs> Do you just like color all of the sliders different colors? You're like, here's more orange. There's nothing well, plugged in. I but mean, you got I it. technically could use the color palette on my multi tracks to just here. There's pink. Your guitar track is now literally hot pink on the screen. Hold on a second. Is that why they call it the blues? Oh, Are we getting into dad, dad jokes joke. now. Dad joke. Anyway, <laughs> it was good. So it was great. That actually. I think, oh, go ahead. I think that is also an advantage of collaboration. Like going back to that is every time I've played with people, and most of the time it's been playing music with people better than me. It's not necessarily a competitive thing, but it's a wanting to keep up type of a thing. But also, you. you is that grow, how you felt when you played with it, Chris and I? With Chris, yes. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it makes you it makes you see something that's desirable, and you're less likely to quit. So you can take it and make it a you know a way to be sort of inspired to become a better musician. Is when you're face to face with somebody that's really good, and they don't have to be great. But I mean, collaboration is some of the most fun, and you'll enjoy it. And I think that what you said, Daniel, is a whole lot is like having that moment of like ah. Oh, this is this is a way this could have been, and I yeah you know I've gone from like doing my own thing, you know whatever by myself to playing music with other people, and usually it's always playing music with other people that's been the most fun and the most you know like learn the the best learning experience I've ever had. 
you know, yeah. as to that. It's it's great. Do you remember that show, Ishy and Scratchy? Yes, I do. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the worst one we've done. Well, <laughs> we I, spend. I don't. We know. should tell people we spend probably like seven minutes figuring out what an ish is, <laughs> and then two minutes actually recording yeah. the middle part. Well, I wonder if you were allergic to cats. You do look kind of ishy. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so yep, we we talked with Chris and and we talked about this in the last episode. I think in the middle like in the ish point there um, for the month of July. So right now he's doing half off of his recording time. So it's 25 bucks an hour instead wow. of 50 bucks an hour. You can do a whole day for 200 bucks, which is a steal. Dang, it is. Um, and he's got a really great setup. Like you're not walking into somebody with, you know, garage band and two microphones, right? Like he, yep. he has a nice space, mm-hmm. um, an actual recording space to get drums, really, really good equipment. So uh, 25 bucks an hour is like, almost literally giving it away um yeah but you can book time with him or contact him blackcatrecording.com and uh take advantage of this deal because like we said before and like we say in the show just the experience of being in a studio is something you should do yeah if you're into recording stuff yep so i would take advantage of that blackcatrecording.com and we'll get back to the show Well, here's a. Uh, I've got a little something I I kind of didn't really touch up on. I actually, um, it's not just me running the studio, so I actually have a business business partner that I met because I I joined a band, uh, mm-hmm. and he was when I joined the band he was already set up to record the band, and he was a good friend of one of the other guys in the band, um, uh-huh. and we when I met him his name is also Chris. So it's two Chris is running the studio, but not confusing. When I, yeah. when I met Why him, you name the band crisscross cross Chris's Chris, you, Chris, 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 Chris. Well, I was thinking the studio should have been called maybe CNC music factory. If oh, you, you know, <laughs> no, but, uh, that wasn't even a dad joke. I don't know what that was. It was like, this is what I'm watching. You, you know who CNC music factory is. No, right? I'm well aware. Yeah. Okay, yeah it's okay. not you. No. Okay. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm not that old. Am I? <laughs> you are older than I'm me. I'm not the though. only yes. one. I think Aaron's older than me. Uh, you don't have to think it. It is true. Okay. All right. Well, we won't talk about it, <laughs> but, uh, no, when, when I started, uh, when I joined this band, I noticed, uh, the other Chris was already set up to record tracks for them at their practice space. And me and him just kind of hit it off. We, we started geeking out about all the gear. Like I talked about, uh, you know, he, he and I were talking about all the gear we each have and everything. And I think, uh, just one day, the space I'm in now, I just found out that it was available so I hit him up. Uh, hey, you kind of want to do this together? So that's that's kind of how I ended up out of my garage, getting out of my garage. So we we uh, found a facility. We we just meshed so well. And uh, when we talked about recording and recording techniques, we we both were pretty much on the same page on everything. 
Um, and when you guys were talking about collaboration, I mean, I actually do that with my own business partner, um, uh, just on different techniques. Cause he, he's been, he's been recording just as long as I have overall about, you know, we each, I think we both got our start about 20 years ago and he kind of, he, at one point he had his studio in his house and which when he talks about his it's way cooler than mine because mine was just in a garage he actually had a whole like basement and isolation booths and everything segmented and everything and so um but he you know his experience is every bit as just as good as mine but he he kind of started off with some techniques that i didn't and so we get to collaborate that way um when it comes to recording bands, like, Hey, how should we record this? Well, let's try this. And, you know, so there you go. You actually, you make me think of something. There's still decisions you're making for a band when they come in the door that they probably haven't considered. The, the main one I can think of is a microphone for a vocalist, right? The, like at home, you're just recording with whatever mic you have available, which may literally be what's yeah. built into your computer, um, or you picked up an SM58 or something, right? But right. how are you determining? Like, do you just have a favorite mic that you go to, or we, when it comes? Yeah, and I mean, this is kind of with. It's not just vocalists; it's with everything. So when we, um, we kind of have go-to microphones for you know female vocalist, a male vocalist. Uh, we kind of know what, uh, you know, we've used these microphones that for years now. So we kind of know how they're going to respond to certain things. So we have a couple go-tos for each situation, but that doesn't mean like when we set it up, it still may not be the right mic. Like, uh, this isn't really, mm -hmm. um, you know, capturing the sound exactly like we want it to. So, you know, we'll switch out mics. Um, if we're not getting what we expected, we will switch it out and try and get a better sound out of it. And that is another benefit of a studio. We have a whole collection of microphones, not just for vocals, but for drums, guitars, uh, bass. Um, I shoot, we've got microphones. We've got a couple of microphones that worked amazingly well. Uh, we had saxophone players in here, cello players in here. So there's yeah. all kinds of different situations. But yeah, Do you ever it, give that that feedback to a band of like I I know I used to rec rec uh, I used to play live shows um, with either like the DS one I forget what the boss's main orange distortion pedal is yeah that's a DS one um, and then the super overdrive right like those two pedals orange and yellow uh, but when I was recording one time um, you know I've got that Blues Deville cabinet and the person I was recording with was like man, let's just crank this thing all the way up and we'll basically like, we're just going to isolate that sound and run the overdrive of the amp itself and use that distortion. And it ended up being mm. perfect. Now in a live scenario, I'm never going to do that. Right. But he right. knew enough about that amp and enough about, you know, his recording ability that he knew that was kind of the right way to go and get this kind of like, uh, kind of like surfery fuzzy distortion that we were looking for. Do you, how often do you 
find yourself sometimes stepping in to say, you know, like live requires a different technique than a, than a recording scenario. I think you, like you might be, I don't know how you phrase it. Right. But like you, you might, it would be worth listening to this sound and see if this is something that you like. Yeah. And a lot of that kind of depends on, I guess the budget if the artist properly budgets for the studio, it, it does allow me five dollars. Five dollars. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> you have money for your lunch break. <laughs> maybe. But, okay, well, but if maybe. we properly if we properly yeah. budget, if we properly budget, then yeah, if you properly budgeted, then that that allows me more time to kind of play around with sounds to get the sound that you want. Uh, so yeah, there's been plenty of times where people bring in an amp. We'll try it out, especially if we're unfamiliar with it. Uh, you know, I don't know the sound of every single amp out there. So when they bring it in, uh, we'll hook it up, we'll try and record it. And if it's really kind of not getting the tone, especially, uh, it's not even, uh, the correct tone for their style of music, but it was an amp that they could afford. So, right. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll come out. We've got a whole collection of amplifiers and guitars here. So we'll just hook it up for you and Hey, try it. Let's try this out. See what kind of tone we get. See if you like it better. So and you mentally prepare differently. If I say, Hey, I'm coming in for four hours versus, um, I'd like to take three days. Right. And in three days I want to record, four tracks versus I have four hours and I'm going to record a 10 track album. Like your preparation literally would end up being different and the decisions you make would be different. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything revolves around how much time I'm allotted to work on your project. I think that's also an advantage of going to a studio is like it's collaboration. You know, like we talked earlier, but getting someone to hear something and say, this is the amp you need. You know what I mean? And also that person may not know any better. You know, like you said, that may be the only thing that they could afford. So why not get the sound you want? You know, it's it's not that this is going to be an infomercial for that, but there's some e extreme advantages of like, if you could book a studio with a whole bunch of people to do things, you know, and they have the ability to like, let you use an amp or certain guitar, you probably couldn't afford to go buy that and then go to the studio, you know? Right, it, right. It's a it's a great way to look at it. You know, I've only ever showed up shown up with what I had. You know, I've never used anyone else's stuff at other places. But as far as especially people just starting out, man, it's it's a huge thing. Would be. Could Do you be. have like a a desirable calculation time? So, you know, I want to record one song, um, a song ideally for Chris should take four hours to track or two hours. to. I don't know what your time actually is. Right. But do you, would you kind of have a suggestion? Cause most of us generally have an idea of how many things, like how many tracks we want to record, but, and we know how much time we can afford and we just try to cram those things together. Right. But it might be better to say, this is my budget for recording. And in that amount of time, I can reasonably expect to record this many songs. Is that like, do you talk to clients about that? So, yeah, I try and get as much information as I can. That way I can try and plan stuff out. But mm -hmm. a lot of people 
the hardest part I can I can tell you how long mixing or mastering is probably going to take. Uh, on the recording side, I can give you a rough estimate, but ultimately, a lot of people, uh, even me included, I have no problem playing on stage. I'll play on stage all day without even thinking about it. When I hit record, I feel under so much more pressure to get every note correct. And a lot of people in the studio just kind of, they, they can't perform like they thought they would. So yeah. any, any I amount of things not performing change. like I thought I would, Chris. Yeah. That hits home <laughs> 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 on stage. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm so nervous when I press record. No, I think, but I, I, yeah, it got worse. Um, yeah, no, I think that's totally valid. I think there is that pressure to like really get it perfect. And, um, you know, what you see a lot of now, I feel like is kind of like I record this little segment and then I'm just going to loop that over and over and over. Right. And I'll do that for the verse. Then I'm going to do it for the chorus. There's a school of thought that I kind of lean into where mistakes are still little mistakes are still good, right? Like slight imperfections are add to kind of like the flavor of a track. Um, And I think that's a mistake people can make when they're recording is to try to get it perfect every single time. Like you want to do the best take you can, but it's okay if something's just a little, little bit off. Um, because your ear notices that and it adds some, some interest while you're listening. Right. I mean, you don't want it to be like off pitch or off tempo, but, um, you, you can slightly miss one of the notes in a chord. Right. And and you're probably going to be okay once everything's layered in around it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people, uh, I try not to bring people to the sound room too much when I'm like soloing their track to hear stuff because that's when they start like, Oh my God, is that me? Kind of mentality. (laughs) Like, no, how about you go back in the other room? Uh, you're fine. I promise. And you know, it's just hearing yourself and hearing the, because everything comes out in recording. You don't hear the stuff during practice. You don't hear the stuff, you know, uh, on stage even, but when you get soloed out and the clarity is what it is in a studio, you (laughs) hear every little thing. And a lot of that stuff was, ah, that doesn't sound good. When, when it's blended in, some of those are just subtle nuances that add to the music. And that, but that's another reason to, to, play around with recording it. the voice memo app on my phone. I use all the time. Like when we talk about home recording, you're probably carrying the capability in your pocket. Right. Um, I mean, outside of like garage band on your phone or whatever, literally just opening the voice memo and pressing record and listening back to yourself play. I think a lot of times we don't practice at home with reference like that, right? Like you play it through and you think yeah. you have it, but if you spent that time recording yourself, just on voice memo app and listening back, I think you would hear some things you could clean up because there's a level of, of precision that you do want to have 99% of the time, right? Or 90, whatever, pick a number, but most of the time you want to be spot on. Um, and then when those little slips happen, those are okay. What you don't want to do is walk into a studio and be sloppy. Right. 
just top to bottom, right? Because that's going to end up wasting everybody's time. Um, you're never going to be happy with what you get. And I think you've got to be realistic about where you're, where you're at. Walking into a studio is not going to fix it all in post. Like, right. <laughs> right. Like the initial thing has to be of a certain quality. You, you can only improve so much, right? I mean, right. I assume you can only improve so much. So like wherever you start, <laughs> there's only X amount you can go up from there. It's not an infinite improvement unless you just dub over every musician. Well, yeah, that's kind of the problem since uh, home recording so easy to do now. Uh, it's when people do come into the studio and they are used to doing just recording at home. And like you said, the copy and paste mentality, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of people that think it's just super easy. Oh, well you can just fix that later. Right. Well, I, yeah. I don't want to, I'd rather you just play your part. You know, <laughs> like I'm more about capturing an actual performance than you just strum a few chords and I copy and paste it. You know, right. it, it, it's yeah. the song itself is not as interesting if you came in here and gave me an actual performance. I think there's right. a huge difference between um, a song, no matter how the you know good the quote unquote quality is, if it's copy and pasted, you can kind of tell, and you know yeah. versus an actual performance, someone who performed the song, um, so that that just brings a whole different you know, vibe or feeling to the song itself. And that being said, I mean, if you have a really great take of something that repeats later in the song, go ahead and copy and paste it. That's the joy of digital. Right. But, right. Um, I, I think to your point, if you can't make it through three minutes of a song and play that guitar part the whole way through, like that's a different, that you need to be at that level. You need to be able to play that song all the way through beginning to end on tempo right and you you might have a little mistake here and there but you should i i would argue before you go into the studio you should be able to get from point a to point b yeah in a take oh yeah absolutely. it may take a couple takes uh, right but you should be able to get there <laughs> yeah there's no there's no problem with like making you know a couple takes or whatever on a track but yeah yeah you really should like have your music nailed down before you come into the studio, otherwise you're just doing yourself a disservice more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And back in the day when it was tape, it was yeah, super you didn't expensive. get to do that. Uh, yeah. Well, I think if, that's where uh, they ahead. did do the cut. They did cut tape back then. You could actually yeah. cut tape, uh, but I guarantee you, you got charged for every bit of that extra work. Well, yeah. and we talked about this before with a photographer, like, when it was actual film and not digital, you saw a lot fewer photos of food, right? Like you had to be more careful <laughs> about what you were doing because it was more expensive. And I think it was a little more precious. Oh, yeah. um, right. And when it's digital, people just kind of like, Oh, take 105 photos and one of them will be good. And that may be true, but you're cheating yourself of the experience to learn composition, right? Or really pay attention. And Aaron knows more about photography than I do. So I'm kind of just making stuff up, but right. I think if if well, if you right, only have yeah. twenty six shots, you're really going to try to get the shot right. Um, well, and yeah, I'd say you music's actually, the same way. Like, yeah, I'd say you know even in photography, when when you did have film, you actually had to know more about the camera than just point and shoot. You had to learn about ISO and aperture, uh, stuff like that, shutter speed, 
so you actually know what lighting setting you're in and how to take the shot properly so you don't waste that film. Right. Yeah. And I think music's the same way. Like, maybe you have unlimited film, but you don't have unlimited time, right? And, right. and you are going to... Mm -hmm. There's only so long you can play something before you start to burn out and you lose the liveliness um, before you start running out of money to do it, before somebody gets frustrated and your drummer storms out. Whatever the thing might be, like, <laughs> uh, the audio format to record might be infinite but all of the other pieces aren't and so you still have to be cognizant of what you're walking in with well i also I think, have to yeah. i also have to pay attention to certain things like that because if it does come to a part that uh someone's just not getting sometimes i have to jump in like hey how about uh we try something else for now and we'll come back to that because yeah. the, if yeah. they're getting frustrated, the more frustrated they get, the less chance they're actually going to get it. So uh, I try and, yeah, hey, yeah. let's let's move this along. Let's do this. We'll come back to this later. So Frustration uh, de derails so many. It derails me in woodworking or like in when I'm building stuff, right? Aaron and I talk about that all the time. But music for yep. sure, like, you know, the hours we would all practice in this tiny, sweaty room, and you just get to a point where like, it's not really productive anymore. And then you had other practices that could have gone for six hours because the energy would just felt right. And you're really getting it. And I think you need to know when to pull the plug and walk away and save yourselves for that, yeah. that other day. Right. Yeah. And that's the advantage of having an outside source to say, Hey, yeah, go for a walk this. or something. Or let's take a yeah. breath. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that being said, you know, we're talking a lot about like preparation, but um, you know, Chris, I was, kind of joking but not joking about maybe going into the studio and recording with you um one because i think the experience is valuable right like and it does get for all of the reasons that we've said and that being said i've got everything you need to record at home i could probably make a pretty decent outside of my experience in musicianship i've got the stuff <laughs> to make a pretty decent track or a record or whatever one note but, at um, a time and edit. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Now I will <laughs> play like, this note. Okay. Now we'll play this note. Now I got chopping together. Just sample every note on my guitar onto a MIDI <laughs> yep. controller, um, which would actually mess me up more. You could be calling Chris a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 well, but so like, how do I do this? You know, yeah. uh, not too long ago, I kind of like wrote a new song and I really like it. And there's some cool pieces, but I haven't quite settled on the transition from verse to chorus. Uh, like, what chord do I want to end on or whatever? And so I think there is a fine line, like, you know, cause I thought about it. Like, do I wait till I really feel like I have this a hundred percent mapped out or do I go in with what I have? And I think that's something where if you've been in a studio before or been recorded by other people before, um, you start to learn that line of what you're comfortable showing up with. And because for me, I was like, I'm comfortable showing up with this because I think, you know, we can try it two different ways because I can play it all the way through those two different ways and we can decide which one sounds better. And it's not going to be a huge time loss either way. And maybe as other instruments come in, we might also realize that one way really works better than the other way as well. Right. As you start to layer in more stuff. So I think like the song doesn't have to be fully, fully realized, but you need to know where you are in your ability to kind of like know that you're making choices and not just like stumbling around in the dark. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Because like you said, you, you have a couple different ways, a couple different ideas. Um, uh, you you kind of, 
basically already have something mapped out. You just basically don't know which choice to go with, uh, opposed to, I have no idea where to go from here. I'm going to go to the studio and just see if I can find it. You know, you yeah. have a couple different ways already mapped out. You just don't know which one you prefer. And then once stuff gets layered in, yeah, one of those may stand out more than the other. And be like, yeah, I really like the way it's coming together with this take that I did. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I don't want people to think like it's got to be perfect before they walk in because that's also not, that's almost the antithesis antithesis of everything we're saying, right? Like that you need to, you might be better off going to a studio knowing that some things will change, but hopefully for the better because that collaboration is occurring, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Aaron has a, Aaron's going to start a sentence, Chris, and you're oh. going to finish it with whatever comes to mind. I don't there's like this n- at all. There's only wrong answers. So, I mean, there are no, no wrong right. answers. Sorry, there <laughs> so, are no wrong answers. Before you ask that question, what does this red X up here do? <laughs> I don't know, Mr. Engineer. <laughs> you can't. Uh, that one That one makes sure that this episode never comes out. <laughs> oh. Okay. oh not, we just blackmailed Chris. All right. So, so Aaron's going to Aaron's gonna start a sentence. You finish it with whatever comes to mind. Right. Ready? No. Okay, too bad. I wish I could. Did you just burp? <laughs> no, I, I, I like don't a know. Frog in his <laughs> I wish I could. Like a frog croak. It could be. It could be anything, Chris. It doesn't have to be even related to your studio or anything. I, I still don't know. Just anything and everything. It's tough. I'm leaving How many this people- entire pause. <laughs> <laughs> you should. How- I will. <laughs> oh, I hate you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um. Honestly, one I I guess I wish I could open a bigger facility. Mm-hmm. There's one way to do that for a bunch of people yeah. to go record on your sweet July half off sale. Dude, exactly. Yes. Well, actually, I, I, if they went and recorded on your August full price sale, but <laughs> going for the I mean, July half price sale will be good too. Book and prepay now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of things like I I uh, wish I could have a million dollars or whatever generic thing that most people would say, but honestly, like right. no right. nobody's ever said that actually. I could really change one aspect, and yeah, I know you said it didn't have to be about studio, but. That's one thing I've been thinking about a lot. I would love to open a bigger facility. Yeah. 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 So maybe it should have been, I wish I could get Monica to get a second job. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Mm-mm. Nope. Me either. <laughs> you just said it. I got you. On, you have you on tape. I don't have your end. Oh, what's this red X do? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Look What I Did is produced by Aaron Dotson and Daniel Quinn. Sound designed by Daniel Quinn. Our digital director is Heather Kelly.